Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This episode of Unfazed and Unbothered is sponsored by BetterHelp. As we all know, this time of year can be a lot, and it's natural to feel some sadness or anxiety about it. But adding something new and positive to your life can counteract some of these feelings. Therapy can be a bright spot amid all the stress and change, something to look forward to, to make you feel grounded, and to give you the tools to manage everything going on. I know for me, therapy has been so important. Just being able to talk to somebody about what I'm going through has helped me through so many things, and it's making me the best version of myself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Find your bright spot this season with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com unfazed today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash unfazed. Hey, mamas. What the fuck is good? My name is Camo, and you're listening to another episode of Unfazed and Unbothered, the podcast where we rant, rave, and ramble about literally any and everything. This week's episode is going to be quite the intimate one. I started a series on TikTok that I've since taken down of my survivor story. If you're not familiar, if this is your first time, Uh, hearing about this, I did from 2011 to 2014, I was fighting a very aggressive one in a million blood disease called paroxysmal nocturnal hemoglobinuria. Um, I'm going to get into that after I update the girls on my week. So yeah, if you, I've had a lot of questions this past week. Why did you take the videos down? Um, I was nowhere near finished up with the series and it was already like seven parts. I mentioned smoking in one of them. TikTok took that down. And, uh, you know, I just I just wanted to have one 
episode or, or one piece of work where it's just all the details. I know I've touched base on this situation. If you are tuned into the podcast regularly, you've You've probably heard me mention over the last two seasons uh, bits and pieces of that era, but I'm going to go into all the nitty gritty details start to finish. And yeah, so um, before I get into that, let me just update the girls. So this past week has been it's been a cute and gorgeous week if I do say so myself very productive I've been going to the gym every day I'm very proud of myself I did kind of um, start slacking when I moved but I am now fully committed back to going to the gym summer is approaching so I'm trying to get my body right and tight okay I was going to planet fitness um But the Planet Fitness that is closest to me is like, it's like 10 minutes away with no traffic, which is not not far at all. But um, it is on Cobb Parkway, the one that's in Cumberland Mall. So the traffic is a nightmare. That 10, 11 minute drive turns into 20, 25 with traffic. And traffic is like my biggest pet peeve. I have road rage. So I just wasn't going going to the gym. You know, it was just more of a hassle to get there than uh you know, I wanted to put myself through. So there is an LA fitness that's like half a mile away from my house. So I've been walking to it, which is just, you know, extra exercise. I get my steps in. They also have a pool. I'm not big on cardio. Um, cardio does serve a purpose. It's great. But I I personally don't like cardio machines. Ah. They have a purpose, but I love swimming. So I have been getting my cardio in after all. And there's also a sauna. So great for my skin. You know, it's just great. It's great. And I thought LA Fitness was going to be a lot more expensive than it is. It's like $40 a month. So, um, you know, it, it's worth it. And I get a walk to the gym. So it's, you know, I'm doing great. I'm, I'm so happy about that. Um, I've also not smoked marijuana since... Valentine's Day, which has been great. I I don't crave it. I I've I think I've broken my addiction. You know, people say oh, you can't get addicted to weed. Yes, you can. You can get addicted to anything. You can get addicted to coffee, which I've also stopped drinking. I am drinking a cup right now, but um, I hadn't drank coffee in like a week either. I have always had a caffeine addiction, and um, I think that was contributing to my high blood pressure. Miss Mary Jane was as well. So I've had to, you know, nip some things in the bud and uh, do better for myself. And I I feel great. I do. Uh, I can't wait to wrap this episode up so I can walk to the gym and, uh, you know, just get to pumping. And uh, my Adderall is fully back in my system. It's, it's, It's really got my head back in the game. And yeah, so it's it's been a great week, to say the least. Very productive for my health and uh, my mental state, if you will. Um, I also started watching The Last of Us. If you have not watched this shit, I highly recommend. I was just scrolling on HBO two, three nights ago, and I just clicked it. You know, I've heard people talk about it, but... I, I still didn't really know anything about it. I've just seen a lot of people talk about it, but I, I didn't even know what to expect at all. And wow, 
incredible show. I'm on episode five right now. Episode three, I'm not going to give any details away if you have not started it. I just, I highly recommend you do so. But episode three, bitch, I was bawling my eyes out. Um, It was, it, it really... Uh, took me by surprise the fact that they um, included such a beautiful story in this chaotic <laughs> um, series. So I thought it was great and very progressive. And I loved seeing it. It was so cute and gorgeous, um, all things considered. But I'm not going to give any details away. Just just fucking watch it for yourself. You will not regret it. Um, so yeah. That's been my week. Not been, I went thrifting the other day. I posted a TikTok. So if you are, you know, one of my uh, girlies who likes my thrift content, there is a new video up. I did buy this cute and gorgeous top. Somebody referred to it as a princess top in the comments. So that's what I'm gonna call it. I got this princess top. It's like this denim. It's kind of like, it's not a shirt. It has like, it's like open. It's kind of like a, a cover up, but it's got these like ruffled arms and this ruffled like neck. Um, there are like these like shoelace holes on the sides. One, th there is like one missing. So I'm going to have to this is going to turn into like a DIY project for me. But um, I'm going to try to find like uh, maybe like a denim string or something to loop through and like tie it tighter over my titties but I can't wait to wear that out because it is so fucking cute y'all so cute I also got a steam cleaner from the Goodwill the other day um which was great because my cat Duchess <laughs> you know I never got her fixed and she never went into heat so I didn't see the point I was like you know what maybe I just don't have to do this and I always thought that maybe one day it would be nice to you know have some kittens so I, I I kept that option open my boys are fixed because the spraying I can't fucking deal but I don't know what's gotten into her she's I guess a late bloomer she started going into heat she's been screaming and meowing so loud at night and just singing her fucking heart out and she's just all over the boys and so it's obvious that she is in heat and she has since started pissing outside of the litter box which is making me fucking mad so um i did find this steam cleaner and you know it, it really fixed uh, some of the problems i got going around here but i'm gonna get her fixed ASAP because I do not like P. Ew. Anyways, that's about all the updates I have for this week. So I'm going to go on a break. And when I come back, I'm going to give you girls all the nitty gritty details of my survivor story. So stay tuned. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience 
and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. This episode of Unfazed and Unbothered is sponsored by BetterHelp. As we all know, this time of year can be a lot, and it's natural to feel some sadness or anxiety about it. But adding something new and positive to your life can counteract some of these feelings. Therapy can be a bright spot amid all the stress and change, something to look forward to, to make you feel grounded, and to give you the tools to manage everything going on. I know for me, therapy has been so important. Just being able to talk to somebody about what I'm going through has helped me through so many things, and it's making me the best version of myself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Find your bright spot this season with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com unfazed today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash unfazed all right girls let's get into it i'm gonna do my best not to get emotional but this was by far the most traumatic event most traumatic era of my life so i i do still to this day get very emotional recalling and reliving some of these moments. So uh, yeah, here, here we go. Back in 2011, I started to notice my health decline. Now, that summer of 2011, I was at Moe's, the, uh, you know, the, the burrito place. I was at a Moe's with my great grandmother. And I remember being in line ordering my food and I started getting faint. I started feeling like I was going to pass out. I literally pulled up a fucking chair to finish ordering my food. And I didn't put much thought into, you know, what was going on at that moment because nobody just jumps to, oh, I have some condition, you know. I was also obese. And uh, I, I, I just, I just figured that I was out of shape. Um, so didn't put much thought into that. Proceeded to enjoy my summer to the best of my ability. 
But my aunt started taking notice. She is a photographer and she would take photos of literally, still to this day, everything, every moment, every gathering, everything, pictures, 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 which is it, it, it actually is a beautiful thing, even though in the moment it's annoying, perhaps. But there's so many beautiful memories that she has captured. And I'm very grateful for that. However, it was that very summer that she started noticing I completely lost all color in my skin my lips you see they're a beautiful red color right now but that summer my skin was turning a hue of green a light shade of green if you have ever seen a cancer patient that is what I, that's that, that's what how I was looking. You know, I had no color in my skin. I was looking very ghostly and I've always been pale, but I had no I I had no blush in my cheeks. I had no redness in my lips. And so there's photos from back then where you can't tell what's my cheek, what's my lip, and uh it's 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 very hard to look at. But still, we did not put much thought into that. Fast forward, um, summer wrapped up. I went to school and it was becoming very difficult for me to walk through the hallways and people started pointing out my skin still was not thinking there was something majorly wrong with me. I remember my uh, theater teacher, Miss Pierce, one day she approached me and was like, hey, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I think so. What do you mean? And she was like, Cam, your skin is like a yellow, green. Have you been checked for jaundice, which is another um, illness? And I'd never heard of that. So I I didn't put much thought into it. I'm like, no, girl, I ain't got nothing like that. I don't know what that even is. Um, also, this girl, Heather, <laughs> one day she approached me and was like, oh, my God, Cam, your lips are so white. Like, that's perfect. Like, you could literally pull off any lip color and uh, something like that. And I was like, OK, why, why are people talking about my skin? Like, what's going on? Still didn't put much thought into it. Now, at this point, I became extremely addicted to chewing ice. And that is a side effect or a symptom of anemia. So if you are majorly addicted to chewing ice, you might want to look into that. You probably don't have what I had, but you potentially have a form of anemia. So, um, yeah, I was crunching on ice every day, all day, to the point where when my father would ask me and my brother what we wanted to eat, I always would say Zaxby's. Not because I liked the food, but because they had my favorite ice. It was a fucking problem. I was chewing ice all day, all night. <sighs> but, um... I was really struggling around this period. And, um, you know, I've mentioned before I was a troubled child. So I got into some trouble here and there. And um, 
so I guess, anyways, I started to bring up the fact that I was struggling to my parents. I was popping Tylenol every day because I had the worst migraines that just I could not get rid of. My eyes became very sensitive to light. So when I walked outside, my eyes were hurting and it was it was giving me such a migraine. And then getting off the bus, walking up, I used to live in this split level house. So I had to like walk up like eight stairs and then I would come into like the foyer entrance area and then I'd have to walk up five more stairs or I could walk down five stairs. Anyways, walking up those stairs halfway up, I would have to sit down. I would have to fucking sit down because I I was almost blacking out. And um, still at this point, I'm like, I'm just a fat ass. I'm just a fat ass. And, you know, I need to get it together. But um, I one day was in charge of cutting the grass in my very big backyard. And my stepfather at the time, my sister's father, he was just getting on to me because I kept taking breaks. I would like do one row and I would almost pass out, literally almost pass the fuck out. And I'm over there like, oh my God, I can't do this. And I was lazy. I was a lazy individual. I still struggle with laziness. So that plus me being out of shape, he wasn't hearing the excuses. He thought that's all it was, was me just making excuses to get out of cutting the grass. So I plowed through about halfway through the yard until the point where I was like, I'm not doing this. I don't care what you say. I'm about to, I'm about to fall out. Um, For weeks, I had been asking to go to the doctor. And I don't blame my parents at all for not taking me immediately because... Like I said, I was a bit of a troubled teenager, so um, my dad thought that I was just trying to get out of going to school. (laughs) Uh, Love you, Papa, but I was really struggling, and he knows that now, but um, I'd been asking to go to the doctor for quite some time. I was also approaching time to start driving, right? So um, there was a day where I was supposed to go get my learner's permit. And I, you know, just asked my dad, hey, since I'm already going to miss some school today, just take me to the doctor. Like, I'm not trying to miss school. I wouldn't be asking you to take me to the doctor of all places. Like maybe if I was like, hey, I don't feel good. Let me stay home. Sure, I could understand your um hesitation, but I'm asking you to take me to a doctor. So um, he did. He took me. I went and got my learner's permit that morning. And um, I went to my pediatrician, explained to them what I was going through, and they drew some blood. They came back, and the doctor's eyes were just so big are you sure this is all that's going on with you? Because your hemoglobin is 3.9, which if you're not familiar, hemoglobin is your red blood cells. Your red blood cells are responsible for um, giving you energy. That That's essentially your energy. And it also carries your blood oxygen. So that was very concerning. The average person sits within the 10 to 15 range. And I was at a 3.9, which they explained to me, you 
typically only see somebody at a 3.9 if they've been in like a major accident and lost a lot of blood. Um, So they were very concerned and I was then rushed to Children's Hospital of Atlanta off Eggleston. You queens are amazing. Um, So I was rushed there where I stayed for the next two weeks. They did so many tests on me and it was just a nightmare. I, I remember the first day laying on this bed. They had done all these tests and there was this doctor. He was very fact of the matter. And I remember asking him, am I going to die? And um, he said, that's a very good question. Um, ooh. So I was there for the next, like I said, two weeks. They couldn't figure out what was going on with me. They wanted to diagnose me with leukemia. However, a lot of my labs indicated otherwise. So um, they kept doing their due diligence. I had every operation under the sun, you know, all these scans, x-rays, all these tests. And um, three days into my stay, there was a Starbucks in the lobby downstairs. And I had never prior to this ever been in a hospital setting for an extended period of time, really ever. And I was becoming extremely anxious and um, I started to really, <laughs> I, I was I was miserable and I wanted to just escape all this chaos that I had endured over the past few days. And uh, I, I was asking my nurses, hey, can I go down to the lobby? I just want a fucking coffee or a frappe or something, just something where I can feel normal, something to escape. And... They were very hesitant to let me go down there, but given the fact that my body had compensated over time and uh, kind of adjusted to such a low level of blood, the nurses allowed me to walk down to the lobby so long as my mother was present. So my mother and I walked down to the lobby and um, Starbucks was closed. It wasn't open yet, so fuck. But we were getting breakfast, and I was I got like a regular coffee, and I had my back leaned up against this island that had like the creamers and whatnot. And my mom looked over, and she could tell that I was like kind of you know n- nodding out, and she ran over to me grabbed me and it was like an episode of Grey's Anatomy. Um, All I heard was my mom started slapping me in the face, but it was like, Cameron, 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 beep, like ringing in my ears. I'm fading in and out of consciousness. Uh, My mom is screaming Um, at this point. There's like alarms in the hospital if somebody's like fallen or if something's happened and alarms were ringing doctors, nurses from all corners, every 
all over the place were running, rushing towards me. They threw me on a stretcher and rushed me to the ICU. And I'm fading in and out of consciousness. My mother is behind me screaming, crying hysterically. And um, I blacked out. And I woke up in the ICU. I was pretty much butt-ass naked. They had taken my clothing off of me and was, was putting a robe around me. And I was being pumped with my first ever blood transfusion. And... Um, It was scary. I had never experienced something like that. I had no idea what was to come. I couldn't wrap my head around why I was going through this. And seeing my mother so emotional and so terrified, it was was so traumatic. Um, I will say they told me I was like the fastest person in and out of an ICU. Um, They were able to stabilize me with blood transfusions. And uh, so that that was great. Um, But I will say in that ICU, all of my family was gathered around me and um, um, I'm sorry. (sighs) Um, Prior to that, me and my brother, we didn't have the best relationship. We always loved each other, but um, it wasn't until that moment in the ICU, him sitting beside me, begging me to stay, um, that I realized how precious he is to me and my family in general. Um, so as much as I would never want to go through that again and would never wish that even on my worst enemy, I am grateful for that experience because of the bonding that it or for how it bonded me and my family. Now I spent the next like what week and a half, it was two week duration, I was in the hospital and um they sent me home for a few days and they just were doing all these tests on my labs and they called me back and I was in this um, room. They assigned me a doctor, Dr. Nichols. He was so fucking sexy. If you're listening to this, probably not. Dr. Nichols, you are an angel. And me and my mother used to fight over this fine ass man. And I think if I'm remembering correctly, I was one of his first patients um, on his own, like one of his first cases that he was in charge of. So we kind of like, you know, we kind of bonded ourselves and he was such a kind man and he was just everything I needed in that moment. But I will never forget him handing me this pamphlet that said what I had. So I had an illness called paroxysmal nocturnal hemoglobinuria, 
PNH for short. It is a one in a million blood disease where essentially your red blood cells have a protein marker on them. And for whatever reason, still to this day unknown, they don't, there's not enough research that can explain why this happens. It just kind of happens. Um, your red, your bone marrow stops producing protein on your red blood cells. And so my immune system, your white blood cells, saw now at this point your red blood cells as an invader. So they started eating up the red cells before they could reproduce. So I was losing more blood than I was producing. And uh, so the name paroxysmal nocturnal hemoglobinuria in English terms, basically, um, I was essentially peeing out red blood cells overnight. My body was metabolizing them, breaking them down. And then the, the next morning I would wake up and basically pee blood. Um, now, it wasn't as gory as that sounds. It just looked like very dark urine, I don't know, TMI maybe, but um, my piss was looking like sweet tea every day. And yeah, I, I, I remember him handing me the pamphlet and saying the words paroxysmal nocturnal hemoglobinuria. And after that, it was just, I couldn't hear or really focus on anything that he was telling me and my family. And uh, I was just, I was just tunnel vision thinking my life is over. And um, I fell into a very deep depression for the next few weeks. Um, Very, very deep depression. I was watching all these videos every day of um, people who also had my illness. And I just couldn't wrap my head around why. Why me? Why me? Um, Most of the people who had it were much older in age. And here I was in 11th grade. I think I was like 16 at the time. Like I, 16 or 17, something like that. I couldn't, I couldn't understand why what I had done to deserve this. And truth be told, I I didn't deserve that. Nobody deserves that. But those were my thoughts. And, um, you know, God's timing is impeccable. And it was this experience and a lot of the experiences that I had because of this situation that made me the spiritual individual that I am today. Um, Prior to this infusion drug that they had, it's called Solaris. Prior to that, uh, the prognosis, people's life expectancy with PNH was three to five years. So there was a big chance that I wasn't going to live long. Um, But with this newfound drug i think it's not it wasn't a new drug it was used for other things but uh they they started using it for my condition and what's crazy what is so crazy if i remember correctly it was like uh, that week or like very 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 recent that this drug was uh 
approved in the U.S. It was also at the time known as the most expensive drug in the world. It was like 20-something thousand dollars for a bag. And I was supposed to get this infusion every week for a few weeks. And then my body was supposed to, you know, get that shit going. And then it was supposed to turn into a bi-weekly thing where I came every other week. Now, that would have been cute and gorgeous. Um, but <laughs> of course, my body was not responding the way they had hoped. So um, I was still going every single week. Every week, every Thursday, I was in the hospital, and um, they ended up having to give me the max dose every week, and my body still was not very respondent to um, the infusion, and uh, I was still blood transfusion dependent, so I was getting blood transfusions very regularly. And over the course of the next three and a half years, my um, body just didn't take to the treatment the way they had hoped. And uh, I was receiving, like I said, blood transfusions all the time. And, uh, you know, I'm O negative blood. So there's only 10% of us in the world. And over time, when you've received so much blood, um, me and my nurses towards the end of my stay, we did the math and went through my chart. I had received over 300 blood transfusions during my stay at um, Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. And um, over time, when you've received so much blood, your body builds up antibodies, antibody A, B, C, and towards the end, I was resistant to the whole goddamn alphabet. So it, it started to become harder and harder and harder to find blood that my body would not reject, that I would not have a reaction to. So there was times where like I needed blood now, but towards the end, it would take sometimes two and three days to locate blood that I could, um, that I could, uh, use. And, um, Towards the end of it all, I was getting very sick regularly. I was spending more time in the hospital than out of it. I missed a lot of school. And I really had, I mean, I, I, I had a better head on my shoulder towards the end of it. You know, I, I will say now it, it really affects me when I think back. I, I now have like, major health PTSD and I'm quite the hypochondriac every time anything happens I'm convinced that there's something majorly wrong with me but during that period after I got kind of over that you know depressive episode in the very 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 beginning I was I I had a good spirit about it and you know my my nurses were very confused how I was able to maintain such a level of peace and positivity but um i just had this mindset that it could be worse it can always be worse you know i had all my limbs i was able to walk i was 
able to come and go out of the hospital. I wasn't stuck there on like any machinery. So it was very grim for sure. But I still was very grateful to have a level of quality to life, even though it was very low. (laughs) But um, yeah, towards the end, I was getting really sick. I had gotten C. diff a few times, which is um, a very contagious uh, virus, I think, or bacteria that's like in your poop. Look into it if you care. Um, but yeah, you you have to be like quarantined when you have C. diff. And I had gotten that like two or three times. And um, I was, um, I'd also gotten uh, staff a, a few times towards the end. And it was just not cute and gorgeous. Um, I'm going to go on one more break. And when I come back, I'll continue the story. So um, stay tuned. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. All right, I'm back, girls. So, like I said, I had C. diff staff. Um, and my body was just going through it. Now, they had tried so many different things. They had so many different theories. Your spleen kind of breaks down and metabolizes certain things in your body. And um, they had a theory that removing my spleen would slow down the breakdown rate of my blood. So I had my spleen removed which was so painful. I I remember waking up from that procedure screaming. As soon as my eyes opened, I was screaming. My body had felt like it was rearranged, and it was. And I had a hollow space, and uh, like my organs were (laughs) resettling in different areas, and it was the most painful shit ever. I also had a very big spleen, they said, so that uh, also you know, was why it was so painful. But um, yeah, that happened. I They also sent me up to uh, Maryland to John Hopkins. They thought that they would have a little more insight on my illness. And uh, they suggested I start steroids and immunosuppressants. So I got on those. That didn't do shit. Uh, I also, in the the beginning, um, it became difficult to draw blood on me because I'm such a hard stick. 
my veins have a tendency to roll. Still to this day, when I go get like blood work done, my veins, they just be rolling. So like the nurses would try to stick me to get a vein and they would roll and my veins would blow. So, um, you know, a few months into me being sick, you know, uh, backtracking a little bit, a few weeks, a few, maybe a few months actually, into me being sick, my veins were just tapped out. I had bruises all up and down my arms and hands, my wrists, my my veins were blown all over the place. And it was, they had so many different nurses take turns on trying to get me. And they would stick me sometimes like 50 fucking times before they could get in my vein, they would be fishing it around, which, you know, getting blood drawn is not fun. But, um, you know, if I wasn't such a hard stick, it wouldn't have bothered me as much. But the fishing in my veins um, was just so bad. Plus, I was at that time, very obese. So like getting veins right here, which is where most people get blood drawn, it was just not working. They couldn't even find veins right here on me. So my best success was in my hands and on the side of my wrist and this big old juicy vein I've got there. But even then, you know, like I said, my veins were starting to blow and um, it was not cute. So they suggested I get a port. And that was basically connected to my heart. I have, I don't know if y'all can really see well on this shitty camera, but there's this red scar on my chest that a lot of people assume is a hickey. It's not a fucking hickey, okay? That's where my port was. Now, this port, it connects to some valve in your heart, and basically all of the infusions of Solaris I was getting and all my blood transfusions were going directly in my body. And so there was like, it felt like I had like, a little rubber bouncy ball in my chest and uh, it just was easier for them to give me these treatments and stuff instead of having to stick my hands a hundred fucking times a visit so they would um, just stab me in the same place and that was a that was that took a lot of uh, stress off of me because it was easy it was easy access and uh, it was great until it wasn't one morning I woke up and I started having heart palpitations and my chest was hurting really bad and uh, I mentioned it to my doctors they you know per usual tried to give me my infusion and they would stick me and they could you know put the saline in me at first but they couldn't get a blood return on me. So there was obviously something wrong with my port. They did an x-ray and the tube that connected to the valve had broke. Yeah. And it was inside of my heart. I have only seen my father personally cry twice in my life. And that was when I was first admitted. And when that x-ray um, showed the the piece in my heart, and my dad was just so emotional. Like, why, why, why does my child keep going through it? Why, like, and, and you know, your heart is such a big deal. And 
still to this day, because of that, I have residual chest pains if I stretch a certain way and um, my heart does flutter sometimes. And that does scare me. Oftentimes I'm like, oh my God, I'm going out. I'm on my, I'm on my way out. But um, because of all the procedures I had, getting the port placed, um, getting my spleen removed and uh, all these um, biopsies on my birth you know, as a biopsies. Yeah. Um, they done all these biopsies on my bone marrow several times, all these procedures where I had to be put to sleep. Um, they had given me Provavol, which is the very drug that took Michael Jackson out. They had given me that and, um, it wasn't effective on me they couldn't give me more. I didn't fall asleep. So during this procedure where they fished this, tool through my thigh some vein in my thigh up to my heart and it had like um looked like an octopus you know I watched all of this happen on the television and I remember just feeling like it felt like a an alien was inside of me just I could feel it going all the way to my heart and uh they grabbed the piece and pulled it out and um yeah no more ports after that but, uh, yeah, so towards the end there, I was getting sick all the time. I was spending more time in the hospital than out of it. And um, at that point, I had little to no quality of life. I had never experienced freedom. I had never been able to have real fun without my parents. You know, I got real behind on life experiences. I missed out on quite a bit. You know, a lot of people my age were going to work and being set up for their future, and I was fighting for my life. So I got real behind on maturing and growing up. Um, It did mature and grow me in other ways. So, um, you know, whatever, but I didn't get to have that first job experience. And um, I had to had to find other ways to make money because I also just was not well off. So I was doing like eBay and whatnot. But anyways, towards the end there, um, I, me and my two best friends, Ariana and William, hey, we made a, we uh, planned a trip to go to Daytona Beach. And um, my doctors advised me not to go through with these plans. And my parents begged me to reconsider. However, my situation was very grim. And they, I guess, out of fear of this potentially being my only real experience on my own, they let me, they let me do my thing. Very hesitantly. But at that point, I think I was 18 or 19. And uh, so, yeah, I was 19. Yeah. Um, So they let me do my own thing. And uh, that was a big mistake. I went to Daytona. I was also, not only was I ill, but I also had a fever. And I had like flu-like symptoms. So I went to Daytona, very, very, very sick and weak. And... um, At that point, my body was breaking down the blood way quicker than it once was. And um, I went down to Florida. We had planned like a four or five day stay 
the first day was pretty cute and gorgeous, all things considered. We went to the beach. I spent half of the day asleep in the room, passed out on NyQuil. Then the other half of the day, you know, I was floating in the ocean high as fuck. And uh, day two came around and I was really sick. I was not feeling good at all. We got in the elevator and we're going down to the lobby where I started to black out. Uh, The doors open on the elevator and my friends helped carry my half passed out body to a couch Uh, They got me some water and kind of stabilized me a little bit. And uh, I was like, we got to go. I'm so sorry. We have to go. You guys have to take me back to Atlanta. So that's like a seven, eight hour drive from Daytona to Atlanta. But um, they were like, why don't we just take you to a hospital around the block? And I'm like, no, y'all don't understand how rare my illness is. Like I would tell my friends these things. And um, it just like when you're not when you're not dealing with it personally like it's hard to wrap your mind around things so um they didn't fight me on it i was like look i have to go to my hospital where they know me and they have an understanding of you know what procedures and protocols to use for me because if i went to some hospital down there they might have just like sent me out and like oh you're just dehydrated or oh we're just gonna do this no so my friends, they rushed back upstairs, left me in the lobby. They packed all of my belongings, all of their belongings, and we got in my little 99 Civic hatchback. And uh, I, I should probably also mention there was like a hurricane going on that week in Florida. So even when we were, you know, checking in, there was all these signs Um in the uh in the hotel saying like hey y'all should probably leave like you should probably evacuate there is a major hurricane coming and uh yeah so it was probably best regardless that we left when we did because the storm was starting to really come that day anyway so maybe god was like you know what you just gotta really get sick right now so y'all will like understand how serious this is so we left my car was flying all over the road for a period because the the storm was crazy and uh i was in the back seat in and out of consciousness pretty much the entire ride and uh, the mission was just to get me to my hospital alive and that's what my friends did they drove like 95 fucking miles an hour the entire way uh it's it's a miracle that one we did not get stopped or die because william was just plowing through red lights there was one red light when we were getting closer to my hospital where um all three of us, we, we, it, it was like fucking the the Dukes of Hazard. Like we were all like just holding tight to the oh shit handles, and we we're all like <gasps> the car took flight. There was like a dip in like a small dip. It, it didn't. My car didn't like fly or anything, but like you know, it took t- took flight a little bit. Uh, there was like a dip in the road, and we were going so fast, plowing through this red light, that my car took flight. And. <laughs> uh, crazy to think back to that, but they zoomed me into the hospital and my doctors were waiting for me with a wheelchair and um i was there for a few days and it was that situation that led them to do further testing i had another biopsy on my bone marrow that 
determined that not only did I have a very rare one in a million blood disease, which let that sink in one in a million. When people say, oh, you know, you won't get bit by a shark or you won't do this won't happen. That's like a one in a million. I don't listen to that shit. I do not listen to that shit because I have been there, done that messed around. Okay, so not only did I have this extremely rare blood disease, but now it had advanced to aplastic anemia. Now, if you're not familiar with aplastic anemia. It's not like, you know, a lot, I know when I was sharing the series on TikTok, there was a lot of people that were like, oh, oh my God, I have anemia too. My period makes me anemic. Queen, I feel for you, but there are not enough iron tablets in the world to correct this issue. So aplastic anemia is also a, a pretty rare, not quite as rare, but it is still a very rare condition where essentially your bone marrow stops producing everything. Uh, it is no longer producing red blood cells. It is no longer producing platelets or um, white blood cells. So I had no immune system at that point. And I remember getting a phone call uh, from my doctor, Dr. Nichols. And I was actually at William's house. He was at school. I was with his, um, I dropped him off at school and I would, I would stay at his house quite a bit. Um, and I was came back to his house to hang out with his sister, Shayla. Hey, queen. And uh, I was with her when I got the phone call. And um, my doctor was like, hey, um, basically, I could not smoke weed anymore. Uh, I was very transparent with my doctors. And they were like, you can't smoke weed anymore because you have aplastic anemia. And um, you have no immune system, essentially. And smoking can cause mold spores in your lungs um, if you don't have an immune system and that would have killed me so um, it was it was it was looking very grim for me now at that point they had exhausted all of their options and my hospital that I was receiving treatment at they did not have a lot of experience no hospital really has a lot of experience with this condition in fact i was one of three people they had ever treated with my illness and one of which responded very well to treatment uh, i i think i met her one time but she was on that bi-weekly regimen and was not blood transfusion dependent so um she was just, you know, receiving her treatment every every other week and was doing great. And the other uh, patient had a perfect match. They had a twin. They had a perfect match bone marrow. So they had received a bone marrow transplant and it was successful for them. But um, I did not have a bone marrow match. My, they did my brother, my father, and uh, my dad was only like a 10% match. My brother was not a match at all for me. So they put me in a registry to um, find a match, and they couldn't find one. Um, and this is a, just another example of God's timing because Dr. Nichols had um, entered my case into some doctor forum, and that very week, Duke Hospital in North Carolina reached out and said, hey, we feel comfortable doing this operation on CAM. So um, that was very, ex I don't want to say exciting. <laughs> Shit, there was nothing exciting about any of that. But it was, I guess, refreshing that uh, somebody was willing to <sighs> 
take this risk on me. Bone marrow transplants are very risky. Um, it's like a 50-50 chance you'll even make it through that procedure. And so um, I went to North Carolina for a, f- for a few weeks. I had to go through all of these long seminar-like classes, if you will, where the doctors were like kind of breaking down like everything that can arise later on in life and the 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 risks involved and uh, all the details of everything. And then I went back home to Georgia for a few weeks. And then in October of 2014, I went back to North Carolina where they um, started my bone marrow transplant. I had to get another port on the other side of my chest. And um, they basically gave me ooh, burping, sorry y'all, chemo, radiation, and this antibody that's from a horse called ATG. I don't really know why that was all necessary, but um, yeah, the chemo and radiation and all that was just not cute and gorgeous. Um, but this, being in North Carolina, being in Duke Hospital, it as if like prior had not already woken me up to spirituality and my relationship with God Um, in North Carolina, I really, really grew such a strong relationship with God. And, um, you know, they, they had told me like, Oh, this, the chemo and everything's going to make you very sick and you're not going to eat and you're going to get very weak. And I, so my stepmother, she stayed with me like the whole time. And I'm forever grateful for Miriam. She was my caretaker, my main caretaker, while my dad went back and forth to work um, so he could keep his insurance to keep me alive. And um, she had invited her pastor to come up to the hospital now, the day before he had came, I, I remember just praying. I was like, oh, God, um, you know, in the in the beginning stages of a bone marrow transplant, um, there was like a whole like seven day, like day seven, day six, day beep, beep, bop, bop, boop, all the way to day zero, which is transplant day. So there was all these like um, procedures they had to do for a week leading up to the actual bone marrow transplant, which, by the way, I had received my transplant from, you know, stem cell treatment became very popular in like the past 10 years prior to my, um, my transplant. And there was a lot of success with stem cell transplants. So I basically received a transplant from a a mother's umbilical, umbilical cord. And, uh, so yeah, day zero came and I got my, um, transplant. Now, there's like a grafting period where your new transplanted cells graft into your bone marrow. And uh, there's like a waiting game where you see if your body's going to respond or reject your transplant. And um, there was like an acute and and, um, chronic... I don't remember the exact words, but um, basically like there could be a rejection that comes early on um, that they could kind of get around with certain um, steroids and certain regimens. I don't remember all the nitty gritty details of that, but uh, 
there was that possibility. And then there's like the um, chronic rejection, which would come like, you know, three, four years down the road after your transplant. And so um, in those very beginning days, it was very crucial that my body uh, take to this new, these new cells. And uh, if it did, then it begins like a, a, a growing period. Now, when you receive a bone marrow transplant, you, they, they, with the chemo and the radiation and all the procedures, they wipe you completely dry. You have zero immune system. Your bones are hollowed out, no marrow whatsoever. And um, that's quite terrifying because, and that point, at that point, your body, a common cold would kill you. And um, a lot of people did not make it out of the transplant unit for that very reason. So um, being in a, in a bone marrow transplant facility, or like in, in the bone marrow wing, uh, they have their own air filtration system. And in order to even access that you have to go through like um they like you have to be approved to go through they have to run tests on you you wear like if you go in there you have to mask up wear gloves and wear these little booties over your shoes and so it it's not taken lightly and uh you have to go through like they would have like one door that opened and then there was like a like a hallway like a chamber and the like the, the mission was to not mix the outside air with this uh, transplant unit. So um, you had to like stay in this, this door had to close, like both doors would not open at the same time. Okay, so the first door opens, your guests come in and they stay in the chamber for a second while the door closes. And then while in that chamber, you have to wash your hands, mask up, glove up, put the booties on, and then you have to be approved for the second door to open. And once the door second door is open, you're let in limited visitors and uh, if you so happen to even have a sniffle you were not welcome there at all and children were not welcome at all so I wasn't able to even see my little sister which was very hard for me and um, yeah so it's it's very it's a lot to think about and to relive but um, in that period you know going back to me growing my faith, um, I was praying so hard, so hard that my labs would just all go up. All of the levels would go up. And um, I had prayed. I was like, God, just let all my labs, all my um, levels rise. Let all of them just go up. And the next day, my doctors came in and were like, all of your levels are are um, going up, you know, to some degree, some of this is good, but some of this is bad. Like this is not usual. Um, this is an issue. And some, some of your levels are an issue right now. And the next day, my uh, stepmother's pastor came up there and he was, he basically instilled into me how specific you have to be when you pray. Um, now, I don't identify as Christian. I don't um, follow the Bible, but I also would never tell somebody uh, that the Bible is incorrect because that's uh, the beauty of 
being an individual, you can believe whatever you want. And uh, at the end of the day, it's just about faith. And um, I didn't know who I was calling to. I didn't know what they looked like. But my my relationship with God personally, um, you're absolutely entitled to believe and, and um, live with different beliefs. That's totally fine. But me personally, I don't see God as a man on a cross with, you know, this story. I see God as light. God is living in me, in you, every one of you listening. God is the trees, the air we breathe, every beautiful detail of this world we live in. That is God. And, um, you know, I, I truly believe that. And, uh, I I think people would be foolish to believe that there is no such thing as a higher power when you look at religion as a whole. You know, I, I did grow up Christian and, um, you know, I, I didn't love that experience. But if that works for you, then I'm very happy you find that peace and you have that faith. But when I took a step back from religion, you look at all these other religions and they're kind of they're very they're more similar than a lot of people realize there's you know this god this um deity that people worship pray to there's these guidelines and these rules that you follow with a promise of an afterlife and when you take a step back and you see that what if all of these stories are just telling their own variation of god god to me is light god is doesn't have a form, you know. Um, but like I said, we all can believe whatever we want, and we're all entitled to that, and that's fair and fine. But anyways, her pastor basically was like, you need to be very specific when you pray. And that's kind of the same thing with manifestation, which I am more of a spiritual individual. So um, I took that, even though it was coming from a, a Christian place, I... Um, took that and I remember praying for the specifics. I prayed that night so hard. God, let this level and that level continue to go up and bring this level down to a normal range. And I swear to y'all, the next day, the doctors came in there and they were like, oh my God, we've not seen this. Your levels somehow overnight went from being scary to now being perfect wow. Um, all right. Not going to question that. So that was one instance that really woke me up to faith. And I, there was one point where, you know, everything started to weigh on me. And that was, it was in that period where I developed really bad anxiety. And I, one day the walls were closing in on me and I was so scared. I thought I was going out and my family all got around me and they prayed. And I swear when they said amen, it was like an elephant was lifted off of my chest and I could breathe and I was okay. And, um, oh wow, just like retelling that is, I was, I've, I've honestly been kind of having anxiety telling this whole story and just like kind of reliving that is kind of like, again, like bringing like a weight off of my chest um, right now. 
Um, but yeah, so the doctors were like, wow, um, your levels are perfect overnight. Like that's, that's crazy. They had also told me that with the chemo and radiation and everything and all of the medications I was taking that I was, uh, very likely to develop, um, sores in my throat and, uh, all these different terrifying situations. They said I wasn't going to eat for like two weeks. And I said, nope, that's, I'm not, I I rebuke that. That's not going to be for me. They told me I was going to lose every hair on my body. And uh, I said, you know what? I'm, I'm going to keep my eyebrows. I also told them I was going to be the fastest patient in and out of that hospital. And uh, I was very specific and you could not shake me from my beliefs and you could not tell me otherwise. And everything I said, ev- literally everything, I did not get the sores in my throat. Um, I kept my eyebrows <laughs> and um, for my age group, I was the fastest pace- patient in and out of that hospital. And um, <sighs> because of all of that and that experience, I forever will have a level of faith. And, um, a lot of experiences happened in that hospital for me. I um, I was basically in the hospital from October to February in quarantine. Could not leave my unit. And um, after that, they transition you from the hospital to the Ronald McDonald House, which... Um, you know, the little boxes outside of McDonald's. Um, I am so grateful for the Ronald McDonald House and the care that they provide for all these sick children. And it was it's just so beautiful. All of the different organizations that would come to the Ronald McDonald House and just volunteer their time to all of these sick children. (sighs) Because a lot of them don't make it. They just don't. And um, (sighs) I'm fortunate enough that I was like one of like four of like the 20 people in my unit that made it. I'm very grateful for that. And I firmly believe that we have more power than we believe. And, you know, going back to like my doctors, they were just, my nurses were so confused how I was able to come in with such positivity. And I firmly believe that when you give up on yourself, you've already lost. And 
I'm sorry. I was I was determined that I was going to beat the odds and I was going to make it out of this situation. And there was you couldn't tell me otherwise. No statistic, no um roadblock. All of that, none of it was going to rob me of my faith. I knew signing up for that transplant that I was going to have one of two stories. I was either going to be a success or I was going to be on all of my family and friends mantle places, my photo. And um, I was determined to beat the odds. And I did just that. Here I am today living proof. Um, but in the Ronald McDonald house, I stayed February, March, I think April, and then May, I believe, of 2015, they sent me back home to Georgia. Now, when you are going through a bone marrow transplant, you practically start your immune system and your life over. So I had to get all of the immunizations that a baby would get. And for the next few years, I still to this day, I'm, I'm basically seven years old right now. Um, I, you know, children, they get very sick regularly because they've not been exposed to viruses. And, you know, over time when you get colds and you get the flu and you get certain viruses, your body um, kind of builds up resistance to these things. So you kind of handle them better over time. So I basically had to go through childhood all over again, getting sick and whatnot. And, um, you're not supposed to go out in public for a year, a year, a whole year. You're supposed to be isolated at home. And um, then at a certain point, they allow you certain freedoms. Like um, I was told that I could start to go to restaurants again and um, the movies. But I would. it was very specific. Like if I went to a hot, I mean, um. If I went to a restaurant, I had to personally request to be in a wing, like an area where no one could sit around me. And um, if I went to the movies, it had to be a matinee and I had to sit in an isolated area. And that was just so my, you know, I could be reintroduced to the air and um, the bacteria and viruses that are around us all the time. Slowly, though, so it wasn't so abrupt. Um, unfortunately, my neighbor, who um, had the same illness that I had, he did not make it through his transplant. Um, rest in peace, his soul. Um, but he was kind of reckless and careless. And uh, he was going out in public without his mask. So I was I was I was wearing the masks before COVID and quarantine and you know I I also have always went against the grain so um while he had a tragic fall um 
I too didn't follow the rules. And so I'm, again, very fortunate that I'm still here today to tell this story because I got so bored and so it really weighed on me. I didn't have any freedom at all. So um, I was advised not to go out into public really um, much at all. But I said, fuck that shit. I was going to the mall still. (sighs) So stupid. But I did have like a big mask on my face, which prior to, you know, COVID, people saw that and was like, what the fuck is wrong with this person? And uh, people took pictures, people took videos. There was one time back when Vine was a thing, um, these girls were taking a video of me. And my friend Ariana was so pissed. She went up and popped the fuck off on them. And I went up to them and started filming them. I was like, you think it's funny to take videos of me? Like I was bald. I had no hair. I was bald and I had a mask on. I was very obviously sick at this Starbucks we went to. And um, I filmed that video and put it on TikTok, not TikTok, Vine. And it um, blew up. And uh, I I remember the uh, parents actually reached out to me and was like, can you take that video down? My daughters are receiving all this hate at school. And I'm like, well, it'll teach them a fucking lesson. I didn't take the fucking video down. But anyways, um, yeah, I was going out in public with this mask on and um, I made it through. I was, I, I am here today, obviously. So um, yeah, over the next, like the year period, I had to really be safe. I had to really be mindful of who I spent time around. I could not be around anybody sick as my cells were still grafting and still um, very, it was it was so early that uh, I could, like a, a, a cold or something could cause my body to reject those baby cells. So I had to be very careful. And uh, I would say even though I kind of went against the grain. I was still very, at that point, I was very um, mindful. When I did go out into public, I made sure I stayed far away from people as far as I could. I always had hand sanitizer. I never took my mask off. And uh, I did what I had to do. But while I was like in that isolation, going back a little bit, you don't, you don't realize what you take for granted. Like it's the little things. Um, The first time in months. So like, you know, going back to being in Duke Hospital, which I am so appreciative of Duke and that team and everyone over there. That is the greatest hospital I've ever been to. I I was in the children's hospital at that point. I was 20 years old, but um, From the kids section, there was times I would have to go to the adult um, area for certain tests. Every doctor, every nurse, every receptionist, everyone in that entire hospital was so kind and so patient and so just the greatest people. 
They don't hire any Joe Schmo. They don't just hire someone with any degree or schooling. Like they're very picky and selective with everyone they hired there. And it showed. It showed in the care that I received. And everyone just felt so determined to keep us alive and to keep us well. And uh, there was just so many amazing people there. And, um, oh shit, I kind of forgot where I was going with, oh, taking things for granted. Okay, period. So there's like a, a, a process where they kind of implement you back into um, air. So I could not leave my unit for several months. And um, there was like a time where they kind of would let you go outside and sit in the fresh air outside and going outside for the first time. I remember just smelling the air and I, it it was the most exciting thing and it was so rewarding and you don't realize how beautiful life is and how much beauty is out there because we just go day to day without even thinking anything of it. And so the first time I went outside and I could hear the birds and I could and I could smell the fresh air, I was so happy. I was so happy. There was also a, a, a Starbucks down there. And uh, the first time I went to that Starbucks, it was so rewarding. It was I felt so on top of the world. And um, then, you know, they let me leave the hospital a little bit for like two hours at a time. And so my family would go to like thrift stores and I couldn't go inside. So I had to stay in the car. But they're also hustlers. So they were, you know, trying to find things to make money to buy food and, and to pay for a lot of these expenses. So I did not mind sitting in the car. In fact, I was just thrilled to be able to see something besides a hospital room and the Ronald McDonald House, as beautiful as the Ronald McDonald House is and how great of a a facility that is. You know, over time when you're in isolation like that, it really starts to weigh on you mentally. So I do remember sitting in the car just being so happy to be out of that place. And uh, the first time I smelt gasoline, it was like it was like I just lit my favorite fucking candle. I'm like, oh my god, gasoline! I remember that smell. Amazing, fucking amazing. Um, and you know, still to this day, sometimes I I find myself losing sight of the beauty there is in this world, and then I think back to that period, and. I just feel a level of gratitude all over again. I'm looking around my room right now and I'm, I think to myself like, wow, I did this. I beat the odds. I fought through. I was determined. I told myself that I was going to beat this and I did. And I'm looking around at this microphone I'm recording on, this computer screen that is filming me, my room, everything around me. And this would not be. This I, I very much had all the odds against me, and I made it out. So, um, you know, 
I now celebrate. I was celebrating at first. They call it your second birthday. My second birthday, which was transplant day, I believe was November 7th. So, you know, it's kind of my second birthday. So on, you know, November 7th, in the first few years, my family would always throw me like a birthday party on that day. And then my actual birthday, December 2nd. But um, still to this day, um, November 7th, I celebrate myself. And um, very grateful to be here, to have this show, to have the experiences that I've had. And, um, you know, it taught me a lot, as traumatic as all of that was. And there's a lot of details I've, I, I couldn't even put into this podcast episode. You know, there was, like, backtracking a little bit, there was one point, you know, when I was going through C. diff, um, I had C. diff when my mother was tragically ran over by a truck and it was a freak accident and um, she was in critical condition. She had shattered all of her ribs. She punctured a lung. She lost mobility entirely. She was never able to walk again. And um, while that happened, I was in quarantine for C. diff. And I could not get out. And the second, I, I remember getting the phone call that my mother was ran over and I was stuck in the hospital. My life turned upside down. Not only was I fighting for my life, but now my mother was fighting for her life. And I, the second they released me from the hospital, I immediately went to her hospital which was a, such a shitty hospital. Gwinnett Medical, y'all should be fucking ashamed of yourselves um, with the treatment that they give their patients. Just such shitty fucking nurses and shitty doctors and just shitty fucking people. And I'm still just pressed to this day with some of the treatment that she received there. And um, she fought for her life. And, um, you know, I my mother's not here to tell this story she did unfortunately pass away a few years later to lung cancer but um my mom used to always tell the story that she had not opened her eyes really and the day that I was released from my hospital and got there that was like the first time she had opened her eyes and I remember seeing her just so battered up in her hospital bed um, with all these like tubes down her throat <laughs> and just the likelihood of her not making it out of that situation. She miraculously opened her eyes and um, she couldn't talk, but I begged her to stay and to stick around so that she could see me go on to do great things. And um, my mother was always my biggest fan, my biggest supporter, my my backbone, my best friend, um, my role model. And um, she just always told the story about how it was me being there that um, started her fight. And, um, you know, she was, um, in a wheelchair for the rest of her life 
And um, that situation, me fighting for my life and her fighting for her life, bonded us even more than ever. And, um, you know, I, I was briefly able to be there for her in the very beginning stages, but then it was that year, 2014, where um, I had to go get my bone marrow transplant. And unfortunately, I couldn't see my mother at all during that period because she was crippled and fighting for her life. And um, they had like sent her to, I forget, the place where whatever president had polio. I'm sorry, I might sound ignorant, but um, whatever springs, I think it's some springs in Georgia, horrible fucking place. They tortured her there. Um, they were not good to her. And, uh, they tried to kill her. They did. Um, she got out of there. Thank God. Horrible place. Horrible fucking place. If you're listening to this and you have any, you need to like send someone to rehabilitation anywhere else besides that place, please. Um, but I couldn't be there for my mother and she couldn't be there for me. We were both fighting for our lives. And, um, I ended up beating the odds and I'm here today. And, uh, you know, she had made a lot of progress herself. And, uh, I, I remember coming back from North Carolina and just, I was just so happy to see my mom again. And, um, we bonded we got we became closer than ever um during that experience and so um it's just crazy to think of my life story and my testimony and some of the things that i've been through at such an early age um all the trauma and all the trials and tribulations make me who i am today and i don't regret any of it i would never want to go through any of it again and I'm very grateful that I made it out, but I have a beautiful testimony because of it. I have a different perspective. I have a different outlook on life. I have a different head on my shoulders. I took a lot of things for granted prior to all of that. And, you know, some people might hear and be like, damn, you really went through that. And like, that sucks. But at the same time, like I said, I um, don't regret it at all. Um, also, I, I forgot to mention this point, but uh, early early into my illness, my mother was definitely the type of, type of person that um, she would, I don't want to say milk the situation because I was chronically ill. Um, but she did, at that time I was like 17-ish, and she had brought up the Make-A-Wish foundation she's like well doesn't um cam qualify for that and you know the make-a-wish foundation they are great they um they really cater to the the sick children who uh their prognosis is not good and um they move with us th their urgency uh is kind of contingent on your life expectancy and how um bad you are and where you are in your fight. So um, I was, my illness, it, it did qualify for the Make-A-Wish, but because, you know, there was things like the transfusions and the infusions and all these operations that 
they were able to stabilize me with. Um, I did not, I wasn't able to receive my wish for like two years. So um, you also have to be 18 or younger. So I qualified at the right time, but uh, if I had waited much longer, I wouldn't have qualified. But uh, the Make-A-Wish Foundation is an amazing foundation and they do so many beautiful things for so many unfortunate people and um i tried to milk that shit myself you know they give you a pamphlet of your three wishes and uh, i was like you know what if i'm gonna get one wish i'm gonna really make the most of it so i (laughs) my first wish was uh not to just meet lady gaga but to fly to new york and record a song with her. Yeah, I don't think they had the budget for that. Um, my second wish was a vehicle, which they turned down real quick. I guess, uh, you know, parents could take advantage of that wish. So they ruled that one out. And my third wish was to have a home studio, but not just any home studio. I was very specific with the computer I wanted. I wanted a 15-inch Retina Display MacBook Pro. And uh, the Make-A-Wish Foundation got with Guitar Center and they fulfilled my wish. I had a $10,000 home studio and... um, I brought that studio with me to the hospital in Duke in North Carolina. And uh, so not only was I fighting for my life, but I had brought my recording equipment and I recorded an EP up there while receiving chemo and radiation. While fighting for my life, I had my equipment in there and I was recording music. Um and I had recorded an EP there that I was selling to my nurses and doctors for $5 a piece. And uh, a lot of the parents that were also at Ronald McDonald, they bought them. So if you have one of those, I signed them and I wrote the, the track list on them with Sharpie. Hold on to that forever, okay? It's going to be worth something one day, I promise you. Uh, but I was a hustler, you know? I, I was sick, but I still wanted money. I still was, I was, I still was a little entrepreneur. So anyways, uh, that is my story. That is my survivor story, how I beat the odds. Um, It was scary. It was very grim. And um, I'm just blessed to be here to tell this story today. So don't take your health lightly. Take care of yourself. If you feel like there is something going on, seek help. Take yourself to the doctor. Find the right people to address whatever issue you are having because my only regret, and also with my mother's situation, she, you know, tragically passed away to lung cancer, which her story is one of my biggest regrets. And I know I can't beat myself up about it, but, you know, three years prior to her, diagnosis with lung cancer um she was like having like pneumonia symptoms and i took her to grady hospital in atlanta we stayed there for a full 24 hours and they came back and said we're not sure if these spots on your lungs are like 
scar tissue from where your ribs punctured your lungs in your accident a few years back, or if it's cancer. And uh, the word cancer just scared the fuck out of my mother. And um, I fought her for a long time to go back to these follow-up appointments, but she just didn't want to. And uh, three years, fast forward three years down the road, um, she was having a lot of difficulties breathing. And she was then diagnosed with stage four um, adenoscarcinoma, lung cancer. And uh, I really regret not just yanking her by her fucking hair and taking her to these um, appointments because uh, they let us know that this is like the slowest growing cancer. And when they found out about, you know, three years prior, the situation where I had taken her to the doctor, they were like, this makes sense as to why it took three years to get here. Those little small spots that could have been corrected and could have saved my mother's life, um, she avoided those. And it wasn't to the very end that she regretted basically giving up on her life. And um, so I say all that as, you know, sad and tragic as that is, um, with my my testimony included and hers as well, seek help. Go check yourself out. Get a physical. Get blood work done. Um, you never know. A lot of a lot of illnesses, a lot a lot of diseases. They don't. You don't show symptoms until it's too late. Oftentimes, so take care of yourself and. Um, that's that's about all I can say, but I appreciate everybody for tuning into this very intimate episode, and I love y'all. I, I'm very appreciative. I can't express that enough for everybody, um, you girls listening, y'all, you, everyone who tunes into my TikToks and my Instagram and everything. It is the messages and the comments and everything from you guys that make me feel like I have a purpose and that that tragic situation and that my story, all of it, was worth it in the end because here I am today. And uh, yeah, I'm just very grateful for everybody listening. So um, stay tuned for next week. I'll try to have a more lighthearted episode, but I just wanted to get this all off of my chest once and for all, I can forever now reference this podcast when somebody wants details. Um, but yeah, take care of yourself. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, 
answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish, or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.